Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 350 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to bring you Ryan Hawk as my guest today. I know so many of you as leaders, you're like, you know what? I just really wish that I could have a podcast or meet top leaders, or maybe you've got some you know, ambitions that aren't quite fulfilled. If that's you, you're going to absolutely love today's episodes. That, that's where Ryan was a couple years ago, and we talk about how he changed everything. Today's episode is brought to you by the Lead to Win podcast. Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller bring you some incredible leadership insights. If you're looking for new podcasts to listen to, and I hope you are, check out Lead to Win. And go to theunstuckgroup.com forward slash CNLP. That stands for Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Download your free copy of my friend Tony Morgan's new resource, Four Roles a Senior Pastor Can't Delegate. Tony's one of the best thinkers in the church today, so you can get that at theunstuckgroup.com forward slash CNLP. Well, Ryan and I talk in this episode about how to get in the door with world-class leaders, which is really challenging. I mean, here we are, 350 episodes into this podcast, and I've interviewed some incredible like bucket list people. Ryan tells you how he did it and how he did it fast. Uh, how to deal with rejection. Oh my goodness, does rejection ever show up in leadership? And how to go from top performer to great leader. And he gets us through the Peter Principle, which is basically that top performers often get promoted to their level of incompetence. It's a fascinating interview. Ryan, give you a little bit of uh, bio on him. He's a keynote speaker, author, and advisor, and host of the Learning Leader Show, a podcast with millions of listeners and more than 150 countries. He's the author of Welcome to Management, How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader. And he's a lifelong student of leadership. He is a former professional quarterback. He is a VP of sales at a multi-billion dollar company. He regularly speaks at Fortune 500 companies and um, facilitates well with sports teams too in the NFL, NBA, NCAA. And he facilitates leadership circles that offer structured guidance and collaborative feedback to new and experienced leaders. Plus, he never quits. Uh, I mean, when you hear his story about how he got to interview Jim Collins, Seth Godin, Liz Wiseman, General Stanley McChrystal from a guy who nobody knew his name a few years ago, it's a pretty fascinating story. So, so glad you have tuned in for this. Hey, leaders, I just want you to know I'm with you. Uh, all spring, we did crisis leadership episodes. So this one went on the back burner and I'm so glad to bring it to you. And this summer, we'll be bringing you more of our, our regular dose of leadership than we have in the past, but we will have a few special episodes here and there. And hey, if you're looking for podcasts to listen to this summer and you haven't yet checked out Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller's podcast, Lead to Win, you need to do that today. It's proven practical advice to guide you through the complexities of leadership. And uh, together, they've got over four decades of professional experience leading teams and driving results. One of my favorite things about their podcast, it's not just strategies to grow your business, although they have a lot of that. They're going to prioritize what Michael calls a double win, where you win at work and succeed at life. Because let's be honest, that's the most important thing. So you can get Lead to Win, of course, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever. And uh, yeah, that's a weekly dose of leadership. So add that to your subscribe list now. I don't know about you. I only listen 
to the podcast I subscribe to. So make sure you check that one out. And then Tony Morgan is one of my favorite leaders and favorite thinkers. And we have been through a season of crisis unlike anything else. And crisis demands we adjust our leadership style. You take the reins, you get more involved in decisions. But if you operate that way for too long, you're going to find some other rules getting really fuzzy. So Tony wants to help you with that. He is the founder and leader of the Unstuck Group, and he wrote a brand new resource called Four Roles a Senior Pastor Cannot Delegate. And there are certain things. I mean, you should delegate a lot, but there's some things you just can't get rid of. And so what Tony will help you do this summer is to focus on your essential responsibilities what the church always needs from you, no matter what's happening in the world. And because you listen to this podcast, you get this ebook for free. So what you need to do is head on over to theunstuckgroup.com forward slash CNLP. That stands for Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. So it's theunstuckgroup.com forward slash CNLP. And there you can get your free copy of Four Roles a Senior Pastor Can't Delegate, and you can get it today. So without further ado, why don't we jump into my conversation with Ryan Hawk. I think you're going to love this one, guys. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Carrie. It's good to be here, man. You're, hey, uh, yeah, already been a wealth of knowledge for me, so I appreciate t- talking with you. I was going to say we could have used the entire interview window just connecting personally at this point. So <laughs> Exactly. I love that, though. That makes it fun. I'm glad we decided to turn on record and pick it up from there. So you've had a pretty fascinating leadership trajectory. You uh, were quarterback in a D1 school. You went to uh, the corporate field. You became a podcaster, author, speaker. You just launched your first course. That's not an automatic career path. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I my sole focus, uh, earlier in my life was in athletics, uh, mm. Carrie. I mean, that was, that's all, oh, that's what I really lived to do, uh, is play football. I played quarterback. I was fortunate to start as a freshman of my high school team at Centerville high school with a great rich tradition. And that those four years afforded me the opportunity to earn a scholarship. So I played in college and initially went to Miami university. Uh, I happened to go there at the exact same time as another really good quarterback named Ben Roethlisberger. And so oh, really? Ben and I, okay. <laughs> yeah, ben, ben and I battled it out for two years. Uh, I think you could probably guess how that competition went. And once uh, the late, great Terry Hepner told me that uh, I would either have to change positions or be okay being Ben's backup, I elected to transfer to Ohio University, where then I went and, and was able to play my, use my final two years of eligibility and play be elected captain. And that kind of was part of my leadership journey. And after I, uh, to fast forward a bit, after I had earned my MBA in the corporate world, I worked at a company called LexisNexis, which I know you and your wife know well. Yeah. Yeah. Any lawyer listening would know that company. Yeah. I was in sales selling to lawyers. So selling to a lot of professional negotiators. You did a good job. I don't know any lawyer who doesn't use it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, but I was, after I earned my MBA, I care. I wanted to go back to school or at a minimum, I wanted to continue to educate Mm -hmm. myself. And so what I elected to do instead of going back to school again, was to form my own leadership PhD. And that is what the Learning Leader Show, my podcast, is all about. And that was five years ago. And so everything that has happened since has been because of the podcast, because of the show, all of the opportunities, which then gave me the the, the, the opportunity to leave corporate America. And now that's what I do full time, uh, as, as we were talking about prior to recording, which is 
doing the podcast, uh, keynote speaking, running leadership circles, as well as uh, some one-on-one engagements and uh, and now online teaching uh, similar to, to what you do. So it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty wild to see how things come together because if you told me to map my five-year plan five years ago, I don't know if any of this would be on it. And now that's why it's hard to do those exercises because you just never know. You what really year did you graduate, know. like finish up football at college, Ryan? Uh, I graduated from OU, Ohio University in 2005. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's a few years in corporate and then away you go. It's like I played uh, briefly a football afterwards in the Arena Football League and the Canadian Football League. So I was I was still CFL. Yeah, I was still working in, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh very briefly though. They got rid of me when they realized I wasn't as good as their other guys, but <laughs> had a had a brief shot and then uh uh and then I, so I was doing that for 2 years and then um then after that football was was done for good. Yeah. So you were in Steel Town. And yep. followed up, Roethlisberger went to Pittsburgh, right? That's so, exactly right. I know exactly very little right. bit of football, but I know that. So He's still there. Yeah, he's still there doing okay, it. Okay, okay. Yeah, my brother-in-law is a huge Steelers fan. So yeah. shout they out have to a great Ralph. Family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great yeah they're a great team. Steel Town, and, well, it used to be Steel Town. So I want to talk to you about your network because it's impressive. Uh, I said, you know, a lot of people have podcasts, but it's not every day that I end up subscribing to a guest show, but you have a very impressive lineup. Uh, John Maxwell, Jim Collins, who is extremely, like he just doesn't do these. Yeah. Talk about how you built that network from a guy who said, who really didn't have the connections. I mean, I'm sure you could get athletes, but like the path from football to Jim Collins is not direct. I, I couldn't get athletes either. I mean, <laughs> I, I think at the, at, at the start of it, um, as I, I my first job, I was a, a a new business, cold calling inside salesperson. So I was making 70, 80 calls a day, as well as figuring out creative ways to uh, email attorneys to get them to respond in order to just have the opportunity to to hit my my sales quota. And so I I really focused on the art of the writing a cold email. And at the beginning of my show, probably for the first year to 18 months since I had absolutely no platform and no name and nobody had heard of anything I've done, I had to use some of those skills I developed from my first job at LexisNexis to write compelling cold emails to convince somebody who had, who had no clue who I was to come on the show. And as you know, Carrie, as you build up, you start getting uh, kind of more prominent people and then then other prominent people see that some of their friends have been on your show and they're more willing to do it. In the case of Jim Collins, I started emailing him and his team at the very beginning and it took roughly probably 80 emails, nine phone calls, multiple uh, times him saying no, ignoring me until eventually uh, he, he had seen that I had done enough to say, okay, it's time for me to do this. And uh, I, I asked him why and he said he just kind of admired the persistence and also had listened to a few shows and liked the style and then decided to do it. And so that then leads to the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and as you go and, and, and hopefully do a good job, you, you continue to get those prominent people that, that want to come and, and talk to you. And now it's certainly much, much easier than it was five years ago. I got to break that down. Did you say 80 emails? Oh, probably more. I mean, I have, I use, I use Outlook so I can actually see all of the scent. I save all of those in a podcast cold email folder so I can see all of them because I wanted to be timely with it and not overburden him and his team. But yes, I mean, and, and, and that's, that's just, I mean, Seth Godin was the same way and, 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 
uh, countless others were the yeah, same. Yeah, way. drop a few other names. Yeah, there. I mean, they were all. A lot of them were very similar in the fact that it was just had to regularly. And there are people that are I'm currently doing that with still that have have not said yes yet. So my whole thought process is is no, just means not yet. I will I will never stop trying. Um, if I'm if I'm very curious about someone in their story, then. I'll do whatever it takes um, uh, persistence wise to continue to follow up. And I've learned from the best sales professionals in the world that I've either worked around or that I've worked on my teams that following up persistence, um, not getting down when somebody says no, like those are the, those, are, those are things that you have to have in order to do this long-term, I think at least successfully, <laughs> especially if you don't have a name. Uh, and, and that's, that's the case that I've, I've, I certainly at least started in and in some cases is, am still in uh, depending on the person. So I'd love to rewind and go back to your LexisNexis days where you cut your teeth and learn these skills because I'm familiar with lawyers, spent a lot, of, even though, you know, that was just a year of my life in law school. Uh, I'm often in those circles. And uh, I, know, I know the mindset. Like lawyers are like, get away from me, right? Like they're, they're not easy to get into. So how did you learn to really open up those doors? Because that is a tough job. If you're cold calling all day yeah. long, can you walk us through some strategies that failed and then some strategies that worked? <laughs> uh, okay, so strategies that, that failed would be something called bag diving, which is my dad has written about in his book. Um, he's a published author as well, and he's led 1,000 people, uh, sales forces as well. Uh, bag diving would be just spewing a bunch of products, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy, right? Just throwing a bunch of garbage at, at the client and they at the prospect. They say no, and you just grab in your bag for the next one, the next one. It's a metaphoric term, but you know what I'm saying. So, hey, you don't want that. Okay, you want this? No, you want this? No, you want this? So don't do that, obviously. Uh, sales is about, is about listening. Sales is about understanding pain points. Sales is about uh, figuring out current state, figuring out desired state, seeing how big that gap is, and then showing how your solution could help fill that gap. So in our case, since we know the legal field so well, uh, I was a new business rep, meaning they did not have my product. They had our, usually our competitor, which you probably also had, which is called Westlaw. Uh, and, and so I was then, uh, learning about their Westlaw subscription and I would, uh, have to understand what they liked or did not like about that. So I'd build that gap of current state. What do you wish you had? You know, what is it? What could that be? And then, and then figure out, okay, is that wish list something that I could provide for them? And in a lot of cases, uh, it's me being a good listener, asking good follow-up questions, and then eventually sharing the solution to their problem, which is a product that I could sell them. So that's what I think we could talk about sales for hours and hours, but I think that's what I try to do on a regular basis. If I could even get them to have the phone call with me. So I would do that in written form. I do that in, in speaking form. And I think the more repetitions I got, the better I got. And, and because I was able to do do well enough at that, it gave me the opportunity to then eventually uh, apply and, and get leadership roles leading my own teams uh, at, at LexisNexis because um, usually if you're one of the higher performers, it gets you in the door to interview for the leadership role. And, uh, and, and that's what happened uh, in my case. No, that's, that's really impressive. And I mean, I don't find it boring at all because really leadership is the art of persuasion, right? Yeah, Most of us who sure. listen to this podcast, we're trying to persuade somebody about something. So that's really interesting. And it reminds me a little bit of 
uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which everybody makes fun of the title. But at the end of the day, I think that was a mid 20th century book, early 20th century book. It's a fantastic book and it's a similar thing, right? That sales is listening. How did you get in the door? Because that's that's a really good approach once you're in the door. But like when you're cold calling, what were some of the keys to getting someone who said no? Because there's people here trying to raise money and they've been told no over and over again and they just quit. Yeah. There have been people who are trying to hire and they've been told no and they've quit. So I'd love to know how you got in that door. Yeah. So I would shift this to, I, this is where I really focused on email and why learning some of those skills helped me in the podcasting space. So I, I think I would spend an insane amount of time of, of researching the people that I was emailing and I would try to personalize those emails as much as possible. And so the basic formulas for, for anybody, I would say to get someone to, all I wanted was them to respond back to maybe agree to a phone call with me. Um, and, and now in the podcasting space to agree, to think about becoming, uh, being, being a guest on my show. So it's sharing, first of all, some honest flattery. So on honest, uh, um, something kind about them with specificity. So that shows that I've right. taken the time to learn about them. I like you because of X. Hmm. Carrie, I like you because you're the combination of a pastor, attorney, and podcaster, and course creator, and you've written books, and they have impacted me in this way. Whatever maybe It shows at least I've, at minimum, I've read your bio, I have an understanding of what you do, and maybe get, take it a step further as to why that's impacted me in a positive way. Then I will shoot for some sort of uncommon commonality. If it was you and me, Carrie, we're both podcasters, we both care about leadership, we both care about helping people, something along those lines. Um, and then I will share, uh, either I will usually share some credibility about what I'm doing. So if it was my podcast in this case, I will share some of the historical things that have happened, some of the numbers, some of the past guests, some of the things that Inc magazine or Forbes has written about me or my show. And then I will have a direct ask in bold. I'd love for you to be a guest on my show. or I'd love to have a conversation about you being guest on my show. And they write back when it comes to at, at Lexus. I was sharing something about other people I've helped, how how them working with me has made their life better, and I would share some of that. So that's some of that uh, a credibility building, um, and then and then some of the details about how my offering is better than perhaps what they're currently using, because I'd have an understanding of that based on my research, and then I would ask for a call or ask for a follow up. And so, also the good thing to know is that when you are cold calling or cold emailing. Uh, success is like one and uh, do one in a lot. Uh, uh, so you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're going to fail almost every single time. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be willing to keep at it day after day. And a lot of people are, are saying, wait, cold emailing, cold calling. No, thanks. I'd rather do something else. And I get it. I get it. But I, I would say though, I am so grateful that that was my first real job out of when I got done playing football because it taught me my first real job was really hard. And it also taught me so many skills that I've continued to use for the, for the rest of my career. And I will continue to use. So I always tell people, and I know I'm biased, but I would say, you know, what should I do when I get done with college? I say, get a job in sales. It's really hard. And you'll learn skills that, that will transfer to other parts of your career that will be very useful. So if, if you're not really sure and you're not, a, you're not going to go be a doctor or something like that, Get a job in sales and 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 see if you can you can hang there because it'll help you regardless of what you choose to do next. Hmm. 
How did you keep yourself encouraged? How did you adopt that mindset? Because a lot of people would say the difference between an effective salesperson and an ineffective one is the ineffective one stops on the third call, the effective one goes to the 10th or perhaps the 80th. How did you, yeah. how did you keep yourself in the game and not just go home defeated every day after a whole sea of no's? I mean, I, I, I got, had some occasional success and, and that created momentum and that created confidence and, and, and I, I just kept at it and also my mindset. So I was not a talented enough football player to probably get a scholarship. And so I was fortunate to have incredible coaching in high school and I saw, they taught me the value of a work ethic of persistence of resilience of never ever quitting and i i used that what i learned from these incredible coaches that i applied to the football field i applied the exact same mentality in the selling world additionally at that time there were stack rankings every day on our activity and on our and on our performance yes it sounds horrible but for someone who was coming straight from the football field, who was in a very competitive uh, environment where I lost a big competition, the first one that I really wanted to win, which is Ben and I, that my mindset was geared for that. I was ready to go. I loved it, in fact. And, and I was very motivated to finish in that number one spot. Now, I don't know if that's healthy to be in a, a situation like that long term, yeah. but at least for the time being, it really was helpful for me former athletes, still hyper competitive, still loved the scoreboard, all of that. That was, that was good for me to be in a setting like that. That, and it, and it certainly drove part of my work ethic to keep going, to get through the nose, to think of it as not yet and just, and just go. And then once some of the success hit, then I really felt it and thought, okay, I'm, you know, it was a low salary, high variable compensation job. So you can make a ton of money if you crushed it. And so that started happening to me at a young age too, which is like, this is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't mind this part either. This is kind of the scoreboard here at a young age when I'm still immature. I thought that was, uh, that was useful for me to, 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 to do at that time in my life. If I'm nerding out, let me know. But I just find this fascinating and I've never it's had this show, conversation. Man. I, I, I love it. I don't always get to talk about this, so I appreciate it. No, this is this is great, Ryan. Okay, so um, these are clearly not cut and paste emails. You're not just like... You're doing research. It probably takes you 30 to 90 minutes to research and write one of these emails. So it's not, it's not easy to do. And you get no response, no response, no response. How, how do you change that from the first email to number 80? Like, is it just you resend that first one saying, hey, maybe you didn't see this or you rewrite it or they get shorter or longer? I'm, I'm really, really curious. This is fascinating. I so I will update them based on what's going on with them and what's going on with me. So I, I will, if they have new things happening, new books, new things they're trying to promote, um, I will update them as well as I'll update the credibility part. Maybe Forbes has written a new article about my show. I will, I will share that. Maybe, uh, the, the, I will share some of the growth in the show. I will, I will, I will give updates on every single time. So people may think it's crazy, but I mean, it's hard to get these guests to come on in a lot of cases when you, when you, when you're, you're not fully established. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason though. I like that. I like that. It's hard. And, and because that, that gives me an opportunity to make it happen when others are like, screw it. I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm, I, I think the, the, the hard is what makes it good, but it, but yeah, I mean, it's my whole thing of people when they send me emails and I ask for this on my show, just be specific 
um, about it. Don't cut and paste emails. Be specific. And if you don't have time to do that, then don't send the email. Mm-hmm. Either, either my whole mentality with everything. If I'm gonna, when I wrote a book, when I had a podcast, when I give a speech, if you're gonna do it, then do it. Go a hundred percent or zero. I'm not real big on saying, ah, let's just try it out. We'll just see what like. I, I like experimentation, but I think if I'm going to experiment, I'm going to experiment a hundred percent. I'm not just going to, eh, I'm not sure. It's either all go or not go at all. And I think whether it's a, whether it's a cold email, whether it's writing a book, giving a speech, doing a podcast, that's really my mentality towards, towards the actions that I choose to take. Hmm. Because uh, I know Collins is notoriously difficult to get. He barely ever grants interviews. And I, I listened to your interview with him, uh, among others. And, you know, it's clear he did a lot of research on you. He started by asking you yeah. questions. So you get you get an audience, so to speak. And I'm, I'm thinking about all the leaders listening to this. It's like, I finally landed Jim Collins, whoever that Jim Collins is in your world. You know, by the way, if you haven't clued in, author of Good to Great, et cetera, et cetera, one of the most prolific and well-respected business authors of this generation uh, who really just doesn't have to do anything. I mean, he granted an interview last year to Tim Ferriss, which was amazing. It sounds mm-hmm. like he went long with yours and he said when his next book comes out, he's going to connect with you, if I remember that correctly. He's mm-hmm. like, he wanted to follow you with interest. Same thing with Maxwell. Maxwell made a really fascinating yeah. connection with you and your brother. He knew your brother, right? Yep. So, yep. so all this is happening, but how do you decide in that moment what you were going to talk to Jim Collins about? Well, I, I don't decide in the moment most of the time. Uh, I had a, a, a pretty sizable outline that I then uh, condensed prior to that conversation to say, what are the key points or potential stories that I want to talk about? What are the questions? You know, I have a few anchor questions, but the bulk of my show is based upon, just like you, Carrie, it's based upon me being a good listener and asking Good or good questions, even better follow-up questions. That's really my process. So to do that, you have to be an active listener again, like you are, in order to go deeper into maybe different places to that person has never gone before. Um, in Jim's case, he doesn't do many, so there wasn't a lot of examples to listen to. Mm. But I just I just follow the things I was most curious about, and. To, to, to get him to to not only talk about his time with Peter Drucker, which was a goal of mine and on my outline, but to hear him use Peter Drucker's accent and say the flap like he hit me with a bamboo stick, like I'll never forget it. And so that that was like a mission accomplished part of that one because Peter Drucker's a legend. Anyone mm-hmm. in the space, we've, you know, effective executive or whatever you've read, like you, he is the guy, the like the godfather of this stuff. And to hear Jim Collins, who was another one of the Godfathers, talk about their interactions, I know is quite rare. And so I have goals and things I want to get to. And I want actual real stories, right? Not just the high level zoomed out, but this the the moment they're sitting in the car and he he thwapped them in the head with the bamboo stick to say, you know, it's about being effective and and, and being useful for other people. Um that's the stuff I really try to get to. So I'm always conjuring up ways. How can I, how can I get them in that moment? How can I get them sharing that where you could tell he started to enjoy himself? Hmm. And that's a goal of mine because if they're enjoying themselves, they're, they're being introspective and reflective. The good stuff will come out and then my listeners will benefit. I'll enjoy it. Jim will enjoy it. And then 
you know, we build a real relationship. And I think one of the coolest parts, as you could probably attest to, Carrie, is that when you can build an actual genuine relationship with with your guest, uh, where you become friends. And and so that's happened a lot where I then have had multiple dinners and traveled to the cities of these people, as well as do the sometimes the same thing with your listeners. So hmm. uh, podcasts like building a really cool community where you can reach out to your heroes, sometimes befriend them. Um, have them live up to these lofty expectations. It's it's quite it, it's quite cool uh, that aspect of it that I I really love, and it also seems to uh, help gather the type of people that I want to be around when it comes to not only the guests but but the listeners of the show too. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I I, I can attest to that. Um, sometimes you get to interview your heroes, and I worked for a couple of years to set up an interview with a guy named Gordon McDonald, who you may or may not know. Uh, a legend in many circles, especially if you're over 40. If you're under 40, most church leaders would never know him. But I found out he did email friendships, and we've developed an email friendship. I mean, he's 80. And my wife and I are traveling there this summer, not for another interview, but just to hang out for a day with him and his wife. And that that is just gold. That uh, is so such cool. a privilege. I'd love to know how you care for your listeners. And I'm really thrilled so many leaders, you know, it's a temptation, Ryan, to become totally self-absorbed or to get lost in that world. I, I try to take care of my leaders, my the, the listeners. I'd love to know how you do that. Uh, I encourage them to, to reach out to me, uh, email. Uh, I don't hide the email. You can, you can, people can email me directly. Um, and they can text to, to opt into what I do as well, too. And for the most part, I think Part, leaders need to be proactive, but leaders also need to be responsive. Um, and so when somebody needs you or they have a, a real specific question, uh, sometimes I'll notice if they wrote me an email with a question and their phone number happens to be in there, I'll just call them without, without even responding to the email. Hmm. Um, just out of the blue, I'll call them. Or if um, they ask for a call, I'll do it. Um, I do block time uh, uh, every single week time for people who have taken the time to send me a specific thoughtful email and I either write them back or I will call them. And I think that that has developed some really cool relationships with people that, um, have come on, gone on to, to, to still be friends, colleagues to this day. Um, so you just never know, you, you, you never know. I mean, and, and sometimes it, it, if you talk like from a business perspective, sometimes it, it works out in that regard too. I never go into it though, thinking this is for business reasons. It's always to nurture and to, and to be grateful for the people who invest their time. Cause that's the most valuable resource they have. It's always to, to, to say thank you and to try to be helpful for the people who, who, because I'm a believer, Carrie, and I know you are too, of your audience grows literally one person at a time, mm-hmm. one at a time and never forget that. And and I think that the founders of Airbnb said this first, but I believe in it, that I think in order to scale, you have to do things that don't scale. And so having, yeah. you know, calling listeners, emailing them back, being responsive, being not an assistant or anybody, but, but me actually doing it, that, that then creates an actual relationship. And that person then is probably going to continue to listen. They're probably going to tell their friends and word of mark, mar, word of mouth marketing is the absolute best form, a genuine referral, no money exchanges hands, nothing like that. Just a genuine referral. That's how the show steadily grows. And, and business wise for me, when the show grows, everything else does too. And so, um, that's, that's really my focus is on always taking care of nurturing, being there for the people who invest their time with me. 
I think that's a really good point because for a lot of us, and there are my audience from what I know about them, you know, some people are leading very small things where that's not that difficult and that's awesome. But for some, they're leading very large things. And it's like, I don't know everyone's name, you know, and some are leading person, you know, in a church or a large organization. They have hundreds, thousands who are part and you can build that wall as a leader where nobody gets to see you, nobody gets to spend time with you. And honestly, it's a daily tension for us with just the content being accessed about a million and a half times a month. It's like, wow, we just get overwhelmed sometimes. How do you do it? Yeah, What's how that? do you do it? How do you do it? How um, do you selectively? How do you stay close? Yeah. I always said I would always answer my email personally. And then we start, I remember there was a day a couple of years ago, we got a thousand emails in an afternoon. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I die now. This is like, even my team can't keep up. So I have two amazing people who answer the public inbox and they don't pretend to be me. They're them. Sarah and Lauren currently are doing it and they do a great job. And then occasionally I've started this more because I realize it's a really good practice. I'll just randomly call people and it's not fair. It's not fair because I called you, but I didn't call the other guy or called the other guy, but I didn't call you. But I think it's so easy to lose touch. I've got a phone call in my Asana list right now that I'm going to make probably tomorrow to some guy who's just like, if there was ever, and unfortunately, there's 15 people that probably got a no, or, but everybody gets acknowledged. And so I've scaled a system with staff, and that costs money. I mean, I pay two people to basically respond on my behalf. And, um, you know, we are able to do that financially in my organization, but it's complicated. And I know a lot of leaders I know, and I struggle with this as a pastor too, it's extremely difficult to get to that point. And you don't want to be elitist where, you know, of course I'm going to take Jim Collins' call, but I'm not going to take Jim from, you know, Kentucky. I'm not going to take his call. So I I just love to know any other filters or rules that you have in that area. That's how I've done it. Not perfectly. I I love it. I mean, I'm with you because, because, because those are, they're random. So there are people who are probably listening like, wait, what do you mean? I've even do five times and I've never got a response or I, I try my best uh, when possible. Uh, there sometimes are better than others, you know, where I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm more there, but yeah, like getting a thousand in an afternoon is, is, is certainly to the point where you're, you're kind of, you put your hands up saying how, how, how can we best manage? I'm going to buy a new stuff? computer. I'll just start over again with fresh <laughs> accounts. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Um, You got a new book, which is a great book for those of you watching. It's called Welcome to Management. And I've read a lot of leadership books. You've got a unique angle on this and you raise a really good point. It's been encapsulated in other places as the Peter Principle. And I think you referenced that where you get promoted to your level of incompetence. In other words, the great sales guy who's crushing it at LexisNexis becomes the sales manager. And what made you a great salesperson is not necessarily uh, making you, you know, a great manager. So can you walk us through why not all top performers make excellent leaders? Just make that clear for us. The skill set is just completely different. Uh, you go from of having to focus on uh, the, the performance of you as an individual to the performance of, uh, in my case, a team of 15 very different personalities, different people with different motivations and different purposes and different processes. And that is dramatically different than just focusing on yourself. Um, in fact, you can't, you, you certainly have to lead yourself first, but in this case, you have to truly get to understand the, the dynamics of each of those people that you are leading and then help them 
lift their levels of performance, uh, answer their questions, understand the way that they are. It, it's There's a lot of psychology. There's um, a lot of EQ involved. You have to be a good listener. There's so many different skills that don't fully apply just to you being worried about yourself as a top performer as, as opposed to the that of, of perhaps 15 others. So it is entirely different. Uh, when I got that first, made that, the reason I wrote about this particular time in your career is because when I made that leap, I unfortunately was not very good at the job for a while. And so <clears throat> I had to learn a lot through the course of, from mentors, through making mistakes, and then eventually launching my podcast and learning from great leaders throughout the world of how to, to do that better. And I want the goal of this is to help prepare the top individual performer who's going to make that leap at some point in the career, as well as the people who are in those leadership positions that perhaps have not had great training and carry leading into writing the book. I was doing an immense amount of research with people who had made this leap in a variety of companies throughout North America. And I would ask, what was the training like when you made that first jump? And the the responses would be like laughing emojis and eye rolls and things like that saying there may Rating. have been nothing. Yeah, right. Like figure it out. And, and, and I, you know, I was lucky to have an incredible boss, but you know, I wasn't the only person that reported him. He had a lot of different things going on. So I still had to stumble through and make mistakes. So my goal is, you know, you, you get promoted big congratulations, smack on the back, and you hand him this book and, and say, this could be a manual for you to help you be better uh, at not making the same mistakes that I did when, you, when you're a new manager. It's been a slow journey for me too. And I, I know my early instincts were just to say, what do you mean? Just like work harder, you'll, you'll figure it out, right? And so, uh, and, and, and people don't respond to that. You break things down into like leading yourself, building the team, and leading your team. Can you run us through some of the key things a leader needs to do to lead him or herself well, Ryan? Well, uh, I find that um, self-awareness uh, may be an underrated skill to develop. And so one of the ways to lead yourself is to get a true understanding of self. Hmm. And so some of the things that I would do in order to have a better understanding of me and regularly holding a mirror up uh, to, to my actions and my behaviors is to surround myself with the proper who. And that's a big thing I learned as you heard Jim Collins and I talk about. Yeah, the why is important and the what's important, but your who will be the single greatest determining factor in your long-term success. So who are the people that you have on that mentor board of advisors, your personal MBA, your mentor board of advisors? Who are those people that can be very honest with you, that you admire, respect, perhaps they have accomplished what you'd like to do, who are those people for you that you can regularly go to with questions, with ideas, that you can receive coaching from them to say, this is how I handled a meeting? Or maybe could you sit in on my meeting and give me feedback afterwards? Or could you even sit in on a one-on-one -on -one to see how I do it, to look at my process, to prepare, to, to, to do that? Um, and then have your one-on-one -on -one meetings with them where you can say, all right, let's get specific about specific things that I am actually doing. Right. How am I doing? please, I need brutal honesty from you. How am I doing um, that? Getting that feedback is the gold. I mean, that is such a gift to, to, to get that because that's how you develop self-awareness, introspection. You can reflect on that and then work to improve. So that's, that's a big part of how you can lead yourself. A lot of leaders resist that. 
They're like, yeah. tell me a little bit, but I don't really want to know the whole story. And honestly, you know, those of us who are married, we resist it in our marriage. It's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. Uh, it's kind of a variation of a question I asked you earlier, but how did you receive that kind of criticism without getting defeated? Because I know a lot of leaders who are very sensitive to that and they just kind of mm -hmm. shut down and then they're like, yeah, I'm not going to hear that anymore. Yeah. So I was, I, I think this is where my athletic background is very helpful. So I've had coaches in my life since I started playing sports and I've been very lucky to have good coaches. And so I've seen the impact they could have on me. And I was taught my parents raised us to be coachable kids, to be respectful of those coaches. And so I, I've, I've always seen coaches. And again, I may be privileged and lucky because I've, again, I've had great coaches. I've always seen them as people who were there to help me. And so when someone had the combination of the guts to share tough news with me, as well as share something that could help me, I've, I've, I've been grateful. So I know that's not always the case with everybody. I know part of it is because of my upbringing and, be, and because of what's been kind of uh, drilled in our minds that these people are here to help you listen to them, take heed their advice, try to do what they're asking you to do, that I've taken that from the field and put it into the business world. And, and so um, certainly I will say, though, I am selective on who I choose to get that coaching from. Um, I do need to have have a high level of respect, trust, and, uh, and and confidence in what they've been able to do. That's why I look for actual practitioners, people who have actually done what I want to do. Um, that's important to me that I could then I, I could ask based on their experience and the things that they've learned from their mentors in their life. Uh, a lot of leaders in my experience do not have that, uh, I like how you said it, MBA. What's that stand for? A mentor board of advisors. Yeah, I put one together. I had elders for years and they were fantastic. And when I stopped being the lead pastor five years ago, uh, I put a personal board together. I actually, the week we're recording this, met with them on Monday in Atlanta. And just really great people who love me, who, who understand what I do, who I think, even though one or two are younger than me, are ahead of me in some areas of life and who give me honest feedback. Uh, a lot of leaders are alone. I get those emails, I'm sure you do. It's like, hey, what should I do? Should I leave my job? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know you from Adam. I don't know how to answer that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some leaders listening right now, Ryan, who are like, I need to know how to put that board together. Any suggestions for them? Yeah, well, I think it's it's wise of you that it, it's not just the old sage, uh, get, getting the old person with sage wise advice, that it can be people from all different mm. ages and experiences. I'm looking for, so for me, what it is, is who, who are people that have accomplished some things that I want to do? So in the space of book writing, I have a few of the mentors that have written incredible books that I've been lucky that they they play a role for writing books. When it comes to speaking, there's a few different people. When it comes to podcasting, there may be a few different ones there. When it comes to leading a team, there are a few different ones there. So mine get pretty specific based upon what they are. Dare I say, I mean, I would I view them as world class, even if they're not yeah. famous or anything. But yeah. I think they are they are excellent at that specific task. And some of them carry over. Some great writers are also great speakers and so and and podcasters maybe too but but I I I've been fortunate to then reach out to those who are really great 
at what they do and then try to build an actual relationship with them. I'm not always able to give as much as they are, but there are times where there's there are ways that you can give to and not just receive. And I try to get creative and figure figure out ways to do that. One tip, one thing I did early in my career as an example of that when I felt like I had almost nothing to give was when I met with the more experienced wise person who had a senior level title that maybe I was, I was going for that earlier in my career when, when I cared about that a lot, um, I would follow up, I would ask to meet with them. And and if they were gracious enough to do that, I would take very detailed, diligent notes and I would follow up those meetings with a very set, Hey, here is what I've learned. I'm very grateful that you shared it for me. Here is what I'm going to put into action based upon what you said. Thank you again. And by the way, I would imagine, given what you've accomplished and everything that you do, that you probably mentor other people too. Go ahead and click forward on this email and try to help other people as well at the same time. So I'm not the only one going to benefit from this one-hour meeting. Maybe I can be a multiplier like Liz Weissman has said. This is the way that I can multiply that hour for you because instead of just uh, spending it on me, Maybe you could spend it on eight people. So that one hour became eight hours and that could also save them time and it documents their thoughts. And sometimes that's useful for a leader as well, because we all like to have a kind of detailed outline of what we're thinking and not everybody takes the time to write it down. So if you do it for them and you're helping other people, you're a multiplier and you've taken, you've done a task for them that they could, that they could use that for future meetings. Um, and, and I found that as a way to be helpful and mentors seem to like that. So I still do that to this day, regardless of everything. Um, and it seems to, seems to be helpful and people, people like it. Now, I, I want to affirm that. Uh, I have been in meetings before where you give away your time and people are like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I uh, don't really have any questions. I just wanted to get together. And then you're like, okay, I guess we're hanging out. I, I hope leaders are taking notes. And of course, we've got transcripts and the show notes and everything too, but this is really, really good. All right, um, communication. Really, mm-hmm. really important. It's pretty clear that you work on communication. What do you mean by that? Like public and private communication? Um, why is communication so critical? And Ryan, what skills do you think young leaders need to develop? Well, I, I've learned this, Carrie, from my dad at a young age. He, he always said, your job as a leader is to always be vividly clear. And he always focused on that word, vivid vividly clear in your communication with the people you are leading. They need to know exactly what the mission is, why that mission is important, important. And then even more important, what their specific role is in accomplishing the mission. And so as your job as a communicator, really develop your written skills. You're going to write emails. You're going to write papers, really develop getting good at being clear and understanding the point behind that. And then when it comes to speaking, he, he told me again, I, I've seen the skill of being able to get up in front of a group of people and concisely share the essence of the message of what you're trying to teach. That is vital if you care to get promoted, if you care to be a leader, because if you can do that, you will separate yourself from the rest of the group. And it, leaders, I mean, think about what do leaders do? We run meetings, we write emails, we have one-on-one talks, we give town hall addresses. I mean, the bulk of the time, a leader should be a thoughtful person, but then they they have to be great, 
great communicators. We can all envision that incredible boss that we've had in our mind or a leader we've worked for, or a coach we've played for. And think about the ones who were excellent at what they do and think about the ones who, were, who they were not. I guarantee you these ones in the column that were excellent, they were great communicators and, and probably multiple facets. So that, that's why it's, it's such an important skill to develop. And it's one of the reasons why I started my podcast as well, because I knew getting the reps, having these types of conversations that you and I are having would, would, would just force me to become a better listener and a better speaker. And, and, and that certainly, I think, over time has, has helped. So uh, final question for you. You've met just hundreds, if not thousands of leaders, some whose names we wouldn't know, and obviously some of the top in the world, like you say, world-class leaders. What are some of the common characteristics in success? So as you meet these high-capacity leaders, what are some common traits that you're like, man, these are just always present? They seem to be just the core characteristics. I would say they are first incredibly thoughtful people. They take time to reflect and analyze why something was successful or why something failed. They are uh, just they they think about the perspective of the other person that they're leading on a regular basis, and that creates compassion and empathy. That all starts from being a thoughtful person, and then from that thought, they act with intention. They're very intentional with their behavior. They don't wander around aimlessly, just hoping for the best. They've thought it through. They understand all of the perspectives. They've reflected on it, and then they make a decision and they go. And this is just the regular process of how they behave on a daily basis. And I found those are the types of people we want to follow. Those are the types of people where we we think I should be more like that. Isn't that the type of leader we all want to be? And so I think that combination of thoughtfulness and intentionality are two critical skills to develop for anyone who wants to be an effective leader. That's great. Well, uh, man, we've scratched the surface. The book is called Welcome to Management, and uh, it's not fluff. There's a lot of books that are fluff. This is actually a really, really <laughs> great primer uh, with much more than we could cover today. And you put an in- index in it, which is not typical yep. every day. So it makes it a really good reference book. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that, Carrie. Coming from you, this means a lot, man. I uh, I had a, I had high expectations, you know, coming in, obviously, and you somehow crushed it. So I, I really appreciate you uh, you, you know, being such a thoughtful guy yourself, it, it's, it's, it's cool to talk to you. Well, it's hundred percent mutual. People are going to want to follow you online. Yeah. What is the easiest way to discover all things in sort of your universe? Uh, my website's learningleader.com. And so that, that has everything, um, and social Ryan Hawk one, two Ryan Hawk 12. And then if you happen to be listening on your phone, uh, and you're not driving, you can text the word learners with an S, learners to 44222. And that's uh, how you can get a hold of me. And if you are driving, we'll have that in the show notes and the transcripts for free. And and last thing is the forward to your book is by General Stanley McChrystal. If you know who that yes. is, you will be impressed. <laughs> uh, legendary four-star general oh and, 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 and a kind, kind, sweet man. And I'm so grateful to have built a relationship with him and he was uh, so generous in, in his words and, 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 and taking a, a, a significant time to, to write that forward. So it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, Ryan, if you'd be open, I'd love to have you back sometime. Thank you much, so much for your time today. Of course, man. Thanks so much, Carrie. Well, was that not challenging and convicting? And, you know, 
I mean, the thing I love about Ryan is you often hear the difference between a good salesperson and a not so good salesperson is the not so good one quits after one time, the good one lasts 10 times, but like 80 times, are you kidding me? Uh, hey, there are transcripts if you want more. Okay, so you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 350 and uh, we'll have that all there for you. We also have show notes that have all the links to everything we discussed in the episode and uh, some of our partners as well. And thank you for supporting them. We only take products and people that we believe in here and uh, your support of them makes this show possible for free week after week after week after week. Well, next time... We've got Nona Jones coming up on the podcast, and uh, I actually did this interview with Nona, and it was so good. I said, hey, can I put this on my podcast? Because she just she just drops it straight, and she talks about the best and worst practices churches and organizations use on social media and why online ministry is about a lot more than streaming content. So here's an excerpt. For so long, we've thought of church as a program. We've thought of it as a place. We've thought of it as a date, time, and location. So even now with this push to reopen church, it's almost as if like last four months have taught us nothing. (laughs) Like (laughs) we gotta open the building because if we don't open the building, what? (laughs) I've yet yet to hear an answer to that question. And so um, on on the plus side, I think people have definitely seen this as an opportunity to become more savvy uh, about digital ministry. I think on the minus side, people have still not yet understood that ministry can and should happen outside of the four walls of the church. So that's next time on the podcast. Also coming up, Levi and Jenny Lusco, Albert Tate, Nicole Martin, Henry Cloud, Joe Saxton, um, who else? Gordon McDonald, Chris Hogan. How about the creator of Blues Clues, Angela Santomero? I mean, we got a, we got a really fun year coming up in uh, the second half of 2020. So uh, it's time for what I'm thinking about. And uh, this is a little excerpt where I just take you into what I'm thinking about uh, for those of you who listen to the end, which is actually a surprising number of you. Yeah, this is just what's on my mind these days. And this segment is brought to you by the Unstuck Group. Check out the unstuckgroup.com forward slash CNLP. Download your free copy of Four Roles a Senior Pastor Can't Delegate by Tony Morgan, one of the best thinkers in the church today. Speaking of great thinkers, make sure you subscribe to the Lead to Win podcast with Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller. Uh, They share more than four decades of professional experience available anywhere you get your podcasts. So I have really got a heart for church leaders. And what I'm thinking about is what church leaders are really thinking about in 2020. I'm going to talk about this on a couple of episodes of this podcast. But, you know, I find that I kind of have a secret thought life as a leader And sometimes if I can just get it out on paper, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it is therapeutic. So there's a few things I want to share with you. See if this doesn't resonate. If you're a church leader, or frankly, if you're a business leader, some of this is going to resonate as well. Um, But I I find for myself, there are things like, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. No, I shouldn't be feeling that way. But when I, well, first of all, I am feeling that way. And secondly, if I say it out loud and I kind of admit it and confess it, it loses power over me. So here's something I think a lot of church leaders are thinking right now and they're afraid to say out loud. Uh, I'm angry at people for not coming back. I mean, the the long-term attendance trends in the church were not particularly encouraging. And what churches are discovering as they reopen their facilities is that sometimes 
the attendance numbers are abysmally low. Now, some of that is social distancing. Some of it is whatever. But but I know a lot of church leaders, they're just like, I just can't believe how bad this is. And you're angry at people who aren't coming back. Uh, if you haven't reopened yet, you're probably already mad at people who you think probably won't return. So what do you do with that? I would suggest you feel the emotion, you pray through it, you vent to a friend, and then you move on. And here's why. Because anger as it simmers just gets worse, and anger is a pretty ineffective evangelism strategy. But I think that's what church leaders are thinking. Here's another thing church leaders are thinking. This one was hard to write because it's true. I feel best about myself when the room is full. If you really want to be honest about how a lot of church leaders feel, it's like, and and I, I mean, I have it with this podcast. I feel great. When we hit a new download level, you know, we just hit 12 million downloads. That makes me feel great. Well, what if there were 12 downloads? It's like, uh, well, probably you have a product that nobody is being helped by. Uh, but I think there is a healthy slash unhealthy tension. Of course, you want your church to grow. Of course, you want to reach more people. Of course, you want to help more people. But if you tie your identity to that, that can be a problem. But there are moments when I don't check this in my spirit where I just feel best about myself when the room is full. And if the room isn't full, well, then I don't feel good about myself. And uh, I think that's true for a lot of leaders. And so what do you do about it? Again, acknowledge it, uh, deal with it, surrender it. And, and you have to be really honest. Like, why do you want to reopen your church? Why do you want so many people to come back? Is it because you really want to help them? Or is it because you just feel good about yourself when the room is full? Mm, yeah, awkward right? (laughs) Okay. Here's one more. Uh, Oh, uh, let's do a couple more. Okay. Here's one more. I like the convenience of church online more than I want to admit. Okay. This one caught me by surprise. So, I mean, church has been a whole morning for me my whole life, right? From when I was a kid until March. And then all of a sudden, uh, now I'm, by the way, founding pastor, not the lead pastor. So I don't have the responsibilities I used to, but the only time I've really been in the church building is when I'm doing a series, which has only been for about five or six weeks since March. What that means is I'm at home like everybody else now on Sunday morning. And Sunday morning went from a five-hour commitment to a 45-minute commitment. And that is just so totally weird. Um, let, let's, let's be honest. Online is convenient. I mean, I had to do some summer shopping and I thought, well, I could go to the malls because they're reopened now. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a couple hours and they may not have my size. And literally one morning, 15 minutes, I bought everything I needed for the summer. Done. And they delivered to my door. That's what people are now thinking about church online. And I think there's a part of us as leaders that say, you know what? I kind of like the convenience of that probably more than I want to admit. Now, I'm going to be committed to church for a long, long time, but as a leader, you got to think, I can understand that online is convenient. And that leads us into the final thought. I hate the prospect of church online for the future because a lot of us like our rooms full, right? So it's like, yeah, I don't know uh, if people are just going to stay home or they're going to watch church from the deck or they're going to watch church, you know, from the ski lodge or wherever they happen to be. Like, is that really participation? So we find ourselves in brand new territory, brand new territory. And as a leader, uh, we email about 70,000 leaders every day with a little leadership nugget. And if you would like to get that, you can just go to my website, kerryneuhoff.com and sign up in one of those little boxes that will pop up or you can find on my site. And then along with 70,000 other leaders, you will get a little nugget of goodness 
almost on a daily basis, uh, sharing some of the things that I'm sharing with you here in the What I'm Thinking About segment. So, and we do a lot more than that through email. So if you want a little daily dose of leadership, that's where you can get it. And uh, hey, that's what I'm thinking about these days, just being really honest, being really transparent and uh, trying to help us all through this really crazy season. We are back with a fresh episode next time. Make sure you don't miss it. And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.